Welcome to the Living Integrated Podcast, where we talk all about how to live your best life in your spirit, soul, and body. My name is Katie Olja. I'm a PhD student, a professional athlete, and just a lover of all things holistic health. I am so glad that you found this podcast, and it would mean the world to me if you would give me a follow and also share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. When I was a personal trainer and a nutrition coach, I used to get asked all the time what the best diet for weight loss was. And now I totally get the question why people ask it so much because especially for women, the whole point of fitness and exercise seems to be how to get the perfect body or how to be smaller or the easiest way to lose weight. And so in our final installment of Eat Like Your Life Depends On It, I wanted to give you some information that's kind of like the inside track of diet and fitness, okay? So the best diet to achieve all of your dreams of health, all your dreams of fitness to get your ideal body composition is non-existent. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but the truth is there is no one-size-fits-all diet. We all have different body types, uh, socioeconomic classes, we have different lifestyles, fitness levels, muscle tone, levels of activity, hormones, and so many more things I can't even think of or name uh, with the differences in our bodies. So truthfully, there is no one diet I could point you to that will be perfect for what you want to do. However, as you probably noticed, this podcast doesn't end in the next 20 seconds, and that's because there is a lot of information that I can give you that will help you cultivate your own perfect diet. And I wanted to start this information by talking about some of the most trendy diets out there, like keto, paleo, low-fat, you know, all the things. And I also wanted to give you a little history on the food industry and how food Um, impacts your thought life and all of that kind of stuff because you know me I can't just give you one slice of the pie we're talking about spirit soul and body and there are a lot of factors in that beyond what you put in your mouth so let's get started number one you know I have to talk about it because it's all the rage right now the keto diet Really, this diet is the rebranded Atkins diet. And so if you've been dieting for a long time, you probably have heard of Atkins. Uh, I think that actually there are still a whole bunch of the bars and the shakes and things that are still being sold under the Atkins brand. But Atkins and keto are both very similar in the belief that carbs are the source of evil and the reason everyone is unhealthy or overweight. So let me just say, if you wanna cut weight fast, Cutting out carbs will actually do that for you. In fact, you can drop anywhere between 5 and 10 pounds within the first couple of days to a week. But even though that sounds like the perfect plan, that weight is not kind of what you want to lose. And it's actually mostly water. Carbs actually uh, are stored in your muscles as glycogen. And they also carry water to the muscles. So when you stop eating them, what you're losing is a ton of that stored up energy that doesn't actually impact fat loss. So it's a lot of water weight, a lot of glycogen weight, not necessarily fat. In the longer term, you really can lose fat from these diets, but personally, I am not a fan, and here's why. 
your body was created to use, use carbs as fuel. Simple and plain. In fact, it's your body's preferred method of energy use. Now, your body is amazing and can adjust to whatever you feed it, so it will adapt, but the long-term effects of this lack of carbs are actually really not good. Limiting carbs means you're limiting fruit and vegetables, both of which are essential to fighting diseases and cancer, and not to mention you need fiber for adequate digestion, and the micronutrients of plants are essential, essential to functioning optimally. So that's just some of the adverse effects, but there have been research studies about strictly the carb and the energy source um, and how it actually is not good for your brain and a whole lot of other stuff. There's so much research that goes into it. Um, you can find a plethora of studies about low carb diet and what the keto diet was actually created for and how even doctors a lot of times wouldn't keep their, their clients on the, um, the diet for a long time because of how it affected the body. So really long-term keto diet, not necessarily good for you. Now on the opposite end of the spectrum, we actually have the low fat diet. So higher carb, lower fat. This isn't so much a thing anymore, but it was really a big deal in like the 60s and the 70s. Um, a lot of government workers and senators actually were uh, started calling attention to the link between diet and disease. So heart attacks were becoming a huge problem and people were dying earlier than they had been before. And so a lot of people started realizing that, you know, the diet has a lot to do with disease. And so for them, the logic of, oh, fat, eating fat makes you fat kind of became the, the thought. Um, and they also, you know, started looking at how fat could cause heart disease and high cholesterol and all sorts of things like that. Of course, they didn't have the same data that we have now, and they definitely didn't have the understanding to know the complexities of you know, the human body and how that connection actually isn't 100% accurate, but they pushed the low-fat diet uh, mantra nonetheless. So the government began pushing the low-fat diet trend. Uh, processed food companies and families alike started buying into the trends, and then um, you know, they just heard fat equals bad, carbs equals good. But what happens when you take out the most flavorful part of a food? You have to add in something else that makes it taste good, which is why sugar became a standard ingredient added to nearly every single food on the shelf. So this is a whole other issue, um, but I won't get derailed into talking about this now. Um, but basically low fat foods became, you know, just a huge amount of a source of sugar and that on its own creates another whole uh, problem with health. But here's the deal about health. I mean, sorry, here's the deal about fat. Dietary fat does not immediately clog your arteries and it does not go straight to your fat cells. It actually is an essential part of your diet and should make up somewhere between uh, 20 and 30% of your daily calories if you're eating enough calories. So fat is actually a huge balancer of your hormones. It's essential for vitamin absorption, um, and it also helps you keeps, keeps you satisfied and full. So basically, it's really important for not only your survival, but also your quality of life. And there is actually zero evidence that low-fat diets improve your health, okay? Nada. So definitely not something that you want to go down the road towards unless you have, you know, a specific doctor-prescribed reason for it, which there are those. But just for a health perspective, low-fat diets are not necessary to lose weight. Number three, um, still kind of a low fat diet, but not intentionally, is being a vegan. 
So I actually went vegan for a little while when I was younger, uh, younger being, you know, five years ago, not when I was in high school. Um, I even actually made my husband do it with me and we kind of approached it with curiosity because there was such a push for veganism. I mean, there definitely still is, especially because, you know, Bill Gates and all these big companies are funding Beyond Meat and there's this whole idea that being vegan is better for the environment and all that kind of stuff. Now, there's actually a lot of movies and documentaries about it as well, claiming that being vegan is the best diet for not only sports and like athletes, but for everyone and for the environment. Uh, But my personal experience would beg to differ and my research does not support that claim. So first, my experience with being vegan was honestly terrible. For months, I was exhausted. I felt starving. I was weak. And I'm not talking about that initial phase where your body is, you know, getting used to a new diet. I mean, it was months and months of feeling terrible. And we did it right, too. I was cooking everything by hand. I really wasn't eating out at restaurants. I was really paying attention to getting enough protein and all the things. And it just was horrible. So I quit doing that and I started doing more research and came back with some thoughts. And uh, these are kind of my thoughts on the vegan thing. So number one is the protein issue. You need high protein to function well. You just do. In fact, the recommended daily allowance of 0.5 to 1 gram of protein per kilogram of body weight that not just vegans, but a lot of people talk about as your protein requirements is actually not an accurate number for protein consumption. It is the minimum amount of protein you need in order to survive, okay? Not even function properly. It is definitely not the amount of protein that you should be eating. It's actually not even close. So unless you have a kidney disease, eating high protein is um, really essential for health and well-being. Um, Not only that, but plant-based protein is really just not as bioavailable as meat protein. Um, Basically, that just means that your body can't absorb as much of it as it does from animal sources. So for example, if you eat 10 grams of meat protein or, you know, dairy protein, you absorb much more protein than if you ate 10 grams of plant-based protein. Uh, And I can't give you an exact number because these vary widely based on the food and the protein source, but there's an overwhelmingly higher percentage of bioavailability of animal-based products than plant-based products. So in order to get enough protein while you're eating vegan, you not only need to eat a lot more than, you know, what vegans typically suggest, you also need to eat even more than you would need if you were eating meat to get the same amount of protein. Both of these things are pretty hard to do when you're eating vegan, especially because a lot of plant-based proteins actually come from heavily processed foods, which I'm just going to tell you right now, they are never going to be good for you, full stop, okay? Number two on this is the environmental issue. So there's a lot of propaganda out there about being how being vegan help is helping the environment uh, because it's cutting down on greenhouse gases and things like that. But long story short, this is just a flat out lie. If the world switched to being entirely plant-based, we would be required to do monocrop farming, which is one of the main reasons we have so many greenhouse gases in the first place, and it is many times worse for the environment than sustainable meat farming practices. Now, don't get me wrong, meat and dairy uh, traditionally have not been treated well, and they haven't been farmed well, um, and it's definitely not good. So if you eat meat, I highly recommend that you, you know, meet a farmer or meet a butcher, shop local whenever possible, introduce yourself, you know, to to local uh, artisans and get to know who farms your meats. 
But even traditionally farmed meat is going to be better than eating processed plant-based stuff, okay, for your health. And the third issue I really see um, with being vegan is the whole, uh, I'll call it the governmental issue. Um, Now, I'm not trying to go uh, like throw out conspiracy theories, but I do want to just point your eyes to some evidence. Uh, Who owns the most farmland in the world? I'll save you some time and tell you right now that it's Bill Gates, who also owns the largest plant-based processing food brand. Oh, shocker, it's Bill Gates. Who wants to experiment with your food and vaccinate you through your meals? Whose nonprofit has been kicked out of several countries for secretly adding sterilization agents to their vaccines? And who doesn't have a medical license or a farming background or even a health background? Oh yeah, all of those things are Bill Gates. And he is not the only one who is pushing this kind of propaganda. Uh, These people are really after profits. They are shoving propaganda out there that is not backed by science. And simultaneously, they're profiting off of a huge culture shift. So you can definitely eat processed vegan food if you want to. If you want to buy into that, you can. You know, I would definitely encourage you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions. But um, personally, I will die on the hill that real food is always going to be better than man-made food. so that's just the hill I choose to die on, and you can you can kind of pick your own <laughs> as well. Um, okay, let's move on, because I don't want to dive any deeper on this topic. I mean, I do, but I won't, because it, I could go on and on and on. So um, beyond veganism, the next diet I would talk about is probably paleo and Whole30. They're pretty, um, they're pretty popular right now, and um, they're kind of the same diet. Whole30 is just a little bit stricter. So these are actually the only diet that I would personally adhere to. And I kind of do, I would say, kind of eat paleo. I mean, I definitely eat some grains. Um, I kind of am way more flexible with my eating because I believe that, you know, that's the best way to be. But paleo and Whole30, basically what they do is they cut out all processed food. Um, They cut out grains. They cut out legumes. They cut out dairy. And then they cut out uh, processed sugars and things like that. So Really, the goal with paleo and Whole30 is to get back to kind of like the caveman way of eating, which is um, if you could hunt for it, if you could forage for it, um, or you could pluck it off of a bush or a tree, then you can eat it. And while I do agree with that kind of idea of like, you know, getting back to the basics and getting back to whole natural foods, um, not all food like grains or uh, dairy or anything like that is necessarily harmful for everyone. You know, if you're eating the the most raw, natural form of it. So I'm not like a diehard, you shouldn't eat um, dairy or grains or anything like that. But it's a really good starting point if you want to kind of reset your health to go do a whole 30, you know, 30 days of super clean eating, cutting out all that inflammatory stuff, and then coming back and uh, slowly adding things back in because it'll actually help you figure out, you know, what's going on in your body and how your body actually feels when it's eating, um, you know, dairy and processed food and stuff like that. So if you're going to try something, I would say maybe try a whole 30, but I, the reason I'm not like a for sure saying do it is because a, it's really not sustainable for a lot of people. It's not, you know, quick and easy. It's a lot of cooking your own food. Um, and also it's just not a hundred percent necessary for everyone. So I definitely love it. I love eating clean and you know, that for me works really well, but I also do add in rice. I add in, you know, whole grains. Sometimes I'll still eat bread on occasion, not a hundred percent of the times, but I just kind of do a modified, a modified paleo because that's what works for me. Now, beyond the diets, there also is, you know, things like 
meal replacement systems and like extremely low calorie diets. Um, for the meal replacement systems, they can kind of fit into any one of these categories. Uh, you know, Jenny Craig, Nutrisystem, things like that. <clears throat> they really do work actually for a lot of people because number one, they're simple. Um, they're cooked for you and they're also pre-portioned. So you aren't necessarily eating more than you should because they've already planned out what you're going to be eating for the day. Um, so that actually can work for people if you're just trying to lose weight or just like, you know, lean out or something like that. The only downside is really the expense of having to buy all your pre-made meals. And I've never actually tried them, so I don't know if they're um, super flavorful or whatnot. But there's tons of options when it comes to pre-made meals. As for the extremely low calorie diets, like I'm talking 800 calories or less, um, I don't know how much I really need to say about this because most people understand that starving yourself is not healthy, but I'll say it anyway, starving yourself is not healthy. No, just, just don't do it. Uh, it's not sustainable and it won't make you look or feel good. Uh, it also leads to disordered eating. So that is just so complex and so hard to break. And honestly, all diets, no matter how good or the, the heart behind it or whatever, all diets can lead to this kind of disordered eating, which is why I'm not really a fan of any of them. Um, and when I say disordered eating, I'm not talking like a full-blown eating disorder like, you know, anorexia or anything like that. I'm really talking about the idea that you have to earn your food um, based on your exercise or that food, like not eating food is a punishment or anything like that. That is all disordered eating. What really we want to cultivate is a good relationship to food. All food was designed for your enjoyment. It was designed to sustain you. And at the base level, like nothing really should be excluded. And let me clarify, when I'm saying food, I am talking about real whole food, not food-like substances. Okay, so I'm not talking about man-made, neon-colored food-shaped stuff. I'm talking about something that you could grow, something you could hunt, you could far farm, you could forage for. That is food, okay? Everything else is not. Food-like substances are come in a package. Real food comes, you know, from the ground or, you know, from an animal. So that's really what I'm talking about when I'm saying if you, if you just choose real food, you really can't go wrong. So beyond that, how do you do it? How do you actually cultivate a relationship with food that is going to support you for the long term uh, and help you achieve your goals and help you live, you know, this optimal, healthy life? Well, number one, I'll just reiterate, real food is at the base of any sustainable, healthy diet. Okay, so that means, you know, picking food that doesn't come in a container, picking food like fruit that, you know, you can just... Um, pick up from the outside edges of the grocery store or vegetables that come in their natural state without being processed or fried or um, filled with food coloring or any of those things. That is really the number one most basic thing. And if you do nothing else or hear nothing else, picking real food is going to get you so far. Um, beyond that, uh, I, I always used to tell my clients number two is pay attention to how you feel. How do you feel when you, you know, eat a piece of pizza? How do you feel after you eat a whole carton of ice cream? <laughs> How do you feel when you eat just a little bit of ice cream? You know, learning to pay attention to those internal cues is a really big deal. And it's it's honestly really hard for people because a lot of times the, the food-like stuff that we eat, like pizza or Chinese food or fast food, those things are actually full of chemicals and toxins that actually um, dampen your internal uh, 
what can I call it? Your internal signals. So they actually dampen your signals that say that you're full or say that you don't want to eat that food or say that, you know, you're, this, this may not be the best thing for you. That food while you're eating it actually does really impact those internal signals and makes it harder for you to hear what your body is saying and what your body is actually needing. Because your body is, is so intelligent. It's so beautifully, wonderfully made. Your body tells you when it's hungry. It tells you when it, you're tired. It tells you when you're thirsty. And if you just get good at listening to and, um, and following those cues, you'll find that when you, you actually uh, will start eating healthier, you're, you'll start feeding yourself food that feels good and nourishes you um, because that's what your body was designed to use as fuel. So um, really paying attention to that. You can journal, um, you can journal about it. You can just, you know, make notes about it, whatever, whatever works for you, but just starting to learn and pay attention to how you feel when you're eating is a total game changer. Um, another thing you can pay attention to is why you're eating. So a lot of times what I mentioned before, food is not just fuel. It can be, um, you know, it can be relational, it can be emotional, it can be, all sorts of different things um, beyond just the, the, the food is fuel idea. So really uh, start taking a look at why am I actually eating right now? You know, is it an actual hunger thing? Is it uh, emotional? Food can be very grounding. So sometimes when we're very emotional, it, it helps to us to eat something. So that's why there's a thing as such as emotional eating. So there's all sorts of reasons why you could be eating. And it's a really healthy and good thing to start looking at um, to make better decisions of why you're eating. Um, number four, I would say, is learn to understand your cravings. So for women, a lot of times we talk about cravings, right? Pregnancy cravings or period cravings, anything like that. Well, a lot of times our cravings are your body's way of telling you what your what your body is missing out on. So for example, when we want to eat a lot of chocolate, chocolate is really high in magnesium. It's really high in B12 and a lot of other uh, antioxidants, things like that. So a lot of times what we're missing on our period when we're craving um, chocolate is not necessarily the sugar or the sweetness of the chocolate. It's actually the B12 and the magnesium and all those things that if we ate it, it would actually help with our PMS and our, um, our period symptoms. Um, there's basically a whole host of different things that when you're craving certain foods like french fries, you're actually craving the salt or you know the fat or whatever it is. So if you start to learn to understand your cravings, you can make better decisions instead of just going after the, the immediate thought or option, which could be the French fry or could be the, ch the chocolate or whatever else. And by the way, I'm not knocking chocolate because chocolate's not necessarily bad for you. It's just the sugar and the dairy and all the other stuff that might not be super beneficial in chocolate. So... Those are kind of my four biggest ways to start cultivating your relationship to food. You know, pay attention to the food that you're eating. Make sure it's the most real, whole, raw version of it as possible. Pay attention to how you feel when you're eating it, why you're eating it, um, and also start learning those food cues. And once you start doing this, um, you, it's really amazing how much your life changes just from changing your diet. And that's why we talk so much about diet and fitness and things on this podcast, because this podcast at the heart is really about um, fully integrating your life, you know, spirit, soul, and body. It's about 
living optimally, you know, achieving the things that you want to achieve, uh, fulfilling your purpose on the earth, all of those things. And all of those things cannot happen. They really, truly cannot happen if you are not um, living optimally. And so when you're not eating healthy food, when you're eating food that makes you depressed or anxious, you know, which is that sugar or those um, those food dyes that make you feel, you know, scattered thinking and all of that kind of stuff, um, you really can't achieve all the things that you want to achieve. And for my business people out there who are like me, who are massive achievers, you actually have um, worse thinking, worse productivity, worse ability to sleep, poor recovery, all of those kinds of things come from the food that you're eating. Um, so just so you know, like sometimes when you're out there, trying to be productive and you're like, oh, I'll skip a meal or, oh, I'll just grab something on the go because I don't have time to cook or whatever else. A lot of times that's actually, it's actually worse for you than if you took an hour to cook your own food and to eat. Your productivity or the remaining hours of the day would be more productive than that 45 minutes that you save um, just from running through a drive through So I highly encourage you to look at the food that you're eating um, eat like your life depends on it because it truly does on every level, not just, you know, the specific health level and like not dying when you're 50 and things like that. Like, although that is of course, of course, extremely important, but beyond the time that you live, how you live in that time is extremely important and it will be impacted by the food that you eat. So, just to reiterate the main question, you know, is there a best diet for living optimally or living, uh, you know, having a, the best body or whatever, uh, whatever else your question is? No, there's not a, an, a perfect diet, um, but there could be one that's perfect for you. And perfect for you is really just sustainable um, based on whole real food and also something that you can use um, wherever you are in life, whether that's, you know, at a restaurant, eating with family uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And of course, it's one that isn't so strict that you can't break from it without feeling guilty. Okay, so those are my thoughts on kind of the diet industry and a perfect, the perfect diet for, um, for your health and for your well-being. And I hope that that helps you kind of clear up some confusion. And I hope that it helps you start cultivating your perfect diet to optimize your life. 